Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word today? We're going to be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. It's going to be located on page 577 uh, on the Blue Bibles. If you do not have a Bible of your own, uh, please feel free to take one of these as a gift from us here at Northridge Life. Hear the word of the Lord. Command and teach these things. I can't see. (laughs) Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift to which you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that you may see, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in these, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Thus says God's word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is life, and we thank you for that. We thank you that we can trust in it, we can be assured by it, we can be strengthened by it. Lord, we thank you for this particular passage which tells us your heart for how your church should be ordered. And Lord, we want to be found as a people who are obedient to your word, who honor your word, Lord, who, who are not innovators, who try to improve on what you've given us through the scriptures. And so, Lord, we thank you for this. We embrace it, and we ask you, Lord, that you would help us to uh, more and more conform our lives and our church to the way that you have, have stated it is to be ordered, that it is to be governed. And so, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. God, I thank you for everyone who is here to hear this word, and I pray that you would just, um, God, prepare their hearts to receive from you something good from your word, because we know that your word is always good. I pray for myself that you would enable me to be able to speak um, properly, to be able to speak accurately, to be able to speak truthfully and authoritatively from the word of God, recognizing that no authority, not one bit of it comes from me, but it comes from your word. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. I pray for your blessing on this moment that we're together and in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. I uh, I want to take some time. I got to meet some of our, our guests today, and I'm really glad that you're here. Hope you're making yourself at home. Uh, as I always say, if there's anything we can do for you, answer any questions, let us know. We'd be glad to do that. I want to recognize a, a handful of very special guests to us today. Um, Gabriel has brought a, a large section of his family, and so we're glad of that. We have uh, brother and sister Beaver who have been in, in ministry for forever. And um, is that right? You started at the creation of the earth. Is that And so. He's been he's been a a treasured friend to our family uh, over the years. He, he was my wife's grandmother's pastor for several years, and so we're so grateful that him and Sister B were here. And in addition to that, we have Gabriel's mother and father, Manuel and Patty. Manuel's been in ministry for for a long time as well, and so we're so grateful that they're here with us for this service. So you guys be welcome and just make yourselves at home. We're so glad to have you. Um, in uh, 
what we're going to do today is a little different. We always place the highest possible value on the exposition of God's word. We don't like, as I prayed in my prayer, we don't like to innovate. We don't like to come up with new things. However, this morning demands that what we do is a little bit of pleasant housekeeping. Sometimes when a pastor says we got to do some housekeeping, everybody braces themselves. Everybody buckles their seatbelt for the wrath that's about to pour forth from the pulpit. Nothing like that is going to happen this morning. But there are sometimes some things that we have to kind of focus less broadly and more narrowly on our church and what God is saying to our church. And so that's what we're going to be here this morning. Um, I promise you, if you are a guest here this morning, this isn't the way we normally do things, but it is for very practical reasons the way we're going to do uh, this this morning. So in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1, neither of which were our text this morning, we read the qualifications that are given for elders in the church. And these include a wide variety of things that are absolutely non-negotiable requirements, qualifications of a man who would serve as an elder in God's church. They include things like marital fidelity, a serious mind, that the prospective elder be a respectable person. The prospective elder be a respectable person and a hospitable person. The elder has to be able to teach and most importantly to live a life beyond reproach. He can't be a drunkard. He can't be a violent man. He can't be quarrelsome. He can't be greedy for material things. It's imperative that he be a faithful and effective father and husband. He must not be recently converted, Paul tells us. And he must be well thought of by those who are outside of the church. And yet, even with that daunting list of qualifications, of requirements, elders in the church are not spiritual supermen. They don't tear off their shirt and have a big red S on their shirt. They're, they're, they're just normal human men. And I want you to take note of these lists in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, that only there's only two things that are required specifically of elders, that he be able to teach and that he not be a recent convert. And the reason that's important, because if you go through that list, every other requirement for an elder is a requirement for everyone else in the church, every single one of them. Let me, let me illustrate this for you. Can a layman in the church, any layman in the church, be a drunkard without incurring church discipline? Absolutely not. Should the church turn a blind eye to someone's marital infidelity or their negligent parenting? No way. Should we tolerate a violent quarreler in our ranks? Never. Of course not. And so when we're discerning the call in a man to serve in the office of an elder, we must start with these biblical qualifications. If if someone seems to be a candidate for that office, first thing we do as elders is we turn right to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and we just make a checklist. We turn over to Titus chapter 1 and we make a second checklist. We always must start there, always. However, the, the that's not... Where we end, we don't end at those requirements, qualifications. They're, they're just the initial assessment. We also have to look for specific gifts, like the Bible says, like the ability to teach, to be able to defend and to declare the gospel accurately and to provide nurture and deep loving care for the sheep of God's pasture. Now, what an elder does 
And what he's able to do is just as important as what he doesn't do in his private life. So, for example, um, you know, obviously sexual immorality is a, is a thing that he shouldn't do. Drunkenness, arrogance, things like that are things that he shouldn't do. But what he does in the church is just as important than what he does in his private, what he doesn't do rather in his private life. He has to be, a, a prospective elder has to be a man of the church who sacrificially puts Christ's sheep above his own ambitions and above his own preferences. A couple of passages show us what to look for, and not the least of which is our text today from 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now that's important because First and Second Timothy, along with the little book of Titus, are known as the pastoral letters of Paul. And they're, they're called that because he wrote them so that young men who he had been discipling, who he had been mentoring, would know how they are to righteously order the churches that they were overseeing. This letter, as I'll mention in a moment, was written to to Timothy while he was serving the church at Ephesus. The book of Titus was written to him while he was uh, serving the church at Crete. And Paul was the last apostle chosen. And these letters are invaluable as they line out the apostolic expectation for church order. Isn't it a wonderful thing that we don't have to guess or wonder or innovate, as I said, about how church should be ordered? Because the, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to give us these instructions, and we're so grateful for that. If you're wondering where Timothy comes from, you, you first meet him in Paul's second miss, missionary journey, and that's recorded in uh, Acts chapter 16. Timothy lived in a city from modern-day Turkey called Lystra, and his mother Eunice was a converted Jew, as was his grandmother Lois. And his father, however, was a Greek. And Paul, meeting him on his second missionary journey, his mother and grandmother were probably converted on his first missionary journey when he went through Lystra. On his second missionary journey, journey, Paul meets him, becomes very close to him, and even goes on to refer to him as a son in the Lord. Eventually, Paul asked Timothy to be his traveling companion on his missionary journeys. And Paul and Timothy is a key player in the New Testament. He helped establish ministries in places like Berea and Corinth and Philippi and Ephesus. He's listed as a co-sender of six of Paul's letters to different churches. He's often mentioned as working with or being with Paul. His name comes up a lot. At some point, Paul sends him to Ephesus, like I mentioned, to put things in order. False teaching has absolutely infiltrated that church. And there's a lack of order in worship. It's anything goes. It's chaos. It's, it's pragmatic. And so... Timothy's assignment in Ephesus is the occasion for Paul to write these letters. Why? Because he wants Timothy to guard the gospel and to proclaim it faithfully. So in this first letter, Paul gives instructions about a lot of things. He starts off with how to deal with these false teachers. And then he goes right from there into reiterating the basic truths of the gospel so that there will be no question about what he's talking about when he talks about the gospel. He says it like this in 1 Timothy 1.15, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And aren't you glad that the gospel can be boiled down to such a simple expression as that? Praise the Lord. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
If you had known me before I came to Christ, you wouldn't have even wanted to be in the same room with me, let alone imagine that, that grace could ever be big enough to save me. But yet here I am, saved because Christ Jesus came into the world to save people like I was. He gives instructions to the church on the necessity of prayer and how men individually and women individually are to conduct themselves in the church. He tells Timothy that despite his best efforts there in Ephesus, some will at last depart from the faith. But Timothy Timothy is to conduct himself like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And he tells him how to treat older men and widows in the church, how even how masters and slaves in in the gospel are to relate to one another. He tells Timothy to be content with what he's been given, to fight the good fight of faith. And he's to charge the rich in his congregation not to set their hope on money, which quickly passes away. Lastly, he's to guard the deposit of ministry and calling that's been entrusted to him as he avoids the useless babbling of immature, counterproductive, and useless people. Paul's words, not mine. But inserted right in the middle of these instructions are those qualifications for elders that I mentioned. And deacons, by the way, are also mentioned there as well. Now, what does this tell us? What, what do we draw from all this? Paul spent all these, these uh, several chapters of Timothy lining out what it looks like to order the church. And right smack in the middle, there's these qualifications for elders and deacons. And this is what it tells us, that godly elders are crucial to the operational integrity of the church of Jesus Christ. When I was a young man, there was a church in my hometown of Odessa um, that had been, it was a heritage church, had been around forever. And as happens sometimes in church, I don't want to shock anybody, but there was a contingent in the church that got a little sideways with the pastor. That's never happened in your, any place you've been, Brother Beaver, has it? And so they get a little sideways with the pastor. And so this man is a wealthy man, and he's so frustrated by the pastor and the leaders of this church, that he says, forget it. I'm going to buy my own church. So he's a very wealthy man. He goes out, buys some land, builds a building. And when pastors come in to this, to, for, for, to be, you know, interviewed for the pastorate, he says, just so you know, we have no board. I'm the boss. Now, this is not the way that Christ has envisioned that his church would be ordered. Elders, godly Elders are absolutely crucial to the operational integrity of the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul's charge to both Timothy and Titus was to, to both of them, he said, set elders in place for the protection, for the thriving of the local congregations in Ephesus and Crete. He says it like this way to, to Titus. He says in Titus 1.5, this is why I left you in Crete. So that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. We've said before, and and this is the, the, you know, cornerstone value of our church, that Christ and Christ alone is the head of the church. Can I receive a hearty amen for that fact? He alone is the head of this church. But in his headship, he has ordained that elders would be appointed locally to serve as his mouthpiece, like I'm trying to do this morning, to serve as his hands and his feet and ministry of uh, of the gospel ministry, but mostly to educate and to train and to raise up you to do the works of gospel ministry. Look at that in Ephesians chapter 4. And and elders do this with the sanction of and the accountability of the churches they oversee. I serve 
Pastor David serves at your pleasure. We, we serve. That doesn't mean that you can get your group together and fire us. It means that, that there has to be a, a, a spirit of agreement that, that we are the elders that, that God has placed here to serve you. And no one can declare himself an elder or a deacon um, without first being recognized in that calling by the church. Those callings have to be recognized first by the body that they serve. Additionally, they must be tested. They must be proven worthy of the office that they'll occupy according to those passages we discussed in 1 Timothy and Titus. And this in no way implies, again, I have to hammer this truth home, that elders are perfect and neither can they be expected to be super Christians. On the contrary, they're to be exemplary Christians. In other words, a Christian who is an example. They have to be Christians whose lives may may worthily be emulated by the church, that they can be pointed to as an example about what a, 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 whole, a life pursuing holiness looks like. The trajectory of their lives must be demonstrably towards holiness and towards the maintenance of a good conscience. As the pastor of Ephesus, Timothy has already been proven for years by his association with the Apostle Paul. And now his task is to find other men of the same certain character who could serve alongside him for the benefit of the church. And this shows us that churches were never, ever meant to be governed by lone rangers. They're to be part, the, the, the pastors and elders of a church are to be part of an, a plurality of equals. If you're new to Northridge, I mentioned a cornerstone value earlier, you need to know that this is an absolute central cornerstone value of ours, the plurality of elders. I do not serve as a lead pastor with a couple of subordinates, a couple of lackeys, a couple of yes-mens. But nor do I serve as an employee of this church who lives my life in constant fear that some board will serve to make my life miserable if I don't fall in line. And thank God for that. But what I do do is I serve with brothers who are wise, who are equally pursuing holiness, who are equally capable of teaching and defending the gospel according to the scriptures. They don't fear being challenged by me. And this is the more important part. They are not afraid to challenge me, and I've been very grateful for when they've done that. And for this reason, even though it's my calling to be the prime teaching elder here at Northridge, I don't refer to my colleagues in ministry as associate or assistant pastors. Those titles are not biblical. They are just pastors, as in Pastor David, my co-worker, my partner in the gospel, my treasured friend. And all this is important today especially. It's not just a lesson on ecclesiology and the, and the ministry of an elder, because after a year, a solid year of testing, after three years of proving himself, after, after all this time of feedback and opportunities to actually engage in ministry, it's time to officially add another elder to our spiritual care team at Northridge Life Church. And our hearts are full today. I hope yours are as well, as we prepare to lay hands on Gabriel Castro and ordain him to the gospel ministry in the service of Northridge Life Church. And today, he becomes Pastor Gabriel. And so let's look at what that will entail by revisiting our text. In the first verse of our text this morning, Paul instructs Timothy to command and teach these things. This is clearly a summary statement. 
Command and teach these things. What things is he talking about? Well, the things that Paul has instructed for the ordering of church life and the ordering of worship. These verbs, command and teach, imply authority, but also the ability to communicate on God's behalf what he has said in the Bible. To command, I hope you'll agree with this, is different than if Paul said, suggest these things. Recommend these things. No, he says, command these things. And this means that Gabriel will be sanctioned first by God and secondarily by the assembled church to speak authoritatively, not timidly, authoritatively. In fact, Paul, you'll recall, told Timothy um, that God had not given him a spirit of what? A fear of timidity. And so Gabriel will be sanctioned by God and and the assembled church to speak authoritatively as long as, and this is a very important caveat, as long as he what he commands is scriptural. He does not have freestanding authority. He has authority given to him, delegated to him by the scriptures that he must live under. He's a shepherd who orders the flock, not just an advisor who gives people a few comfortable opinions or options. But this isn't to be viewed, viewed by you as an endorsement or of ministry, ministerial tyranny either. We've all seen that and how ugly it can be. Because he's not just told to command these things, he's told to teach these things. And teaching requires study and requires insight. And, and that study and that insight will result in patient, humble instruction. He will not compromise the biblical standard, but he will do so while considering his own weaknesses and the weaknesses of his hearers. The next verse is probably most critical to understanding Gabriel's eldership here at Northridge. Verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in purity, in, in faith, rather, in purity. Obviously, pastor, this is going to be a shock to all of you looking at my youthful glory here, but obviously Gabriel is younger than either Pastor David or myself. I've waited for years for Pastor David to be one of the old guys with me, and now we have successfully reached that point, brother. We've made it. But Paul is saying here, this is, you cannot blow past this passage in, in chapter 12, or in verse 12. You can't blow past this. Paul is saying here that chronological age, very important, extremely important. But it isn't more important in leadership than spiritual maturity, which every one of us here would testify that Gabriel has. I want you to know, and I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but Gabriel does not read the Bible. He devours the Bible. He is so committed to scripture. He is plowed over and over through good theological books, ranging from many of the writings of people like R.C. Sproul to the Puritans and so many great writers in between. He has been particularly evangelistic, sharing the gospel with family, friends, strangers, with incessant tenacity. And this has been constant. He called me Sunday afternoon just to tell me, I was already working on my nap, and he called to tell me that, that he had, how he'd shared the gospel with some cultish weirdo that showed up at his apartment complex. And it was awesome. It was so good. He, he's so uh, good, good at those sort of things. 
One thing that you might need to know about Gabriel and I is we've met weekly for over three years. Most of those meetings go for several hours. We'd say, we'll do this for a couple hours and, and two turns to five. And, and it's, it, most of those meetings are spent with him quizzing me about various theological perspective. And while he has always been, from day one, appropriately submissive, he's never afraid to push if my answer doesn't fully satisfy his intense curiosity. And I love and appreciate that. His desire for the knowledge of God's will and God's word can only be described as insatiable. That's what I mean when I say he doesn't read the Bible, he devours it. In his assignment as our youth leader, you know, we've had all the, all the difficulties that Every church has in their youth groups. And he's taken us from a pizza party, silly games, hosting group to one that the, where the gospel is absolutely central. And I am so grateful for that. He makes, if you don't know, if you don't have kids that age or, or, you know, maybe you're my age, he makes kids in their, in their youth group watch sermon clips. And they'll ask him, was this a good, Point made, or was this was this biblical or unbiblical? And they'll have to learn to discern what they're hearing. I love that because he's causing the youth to stretch and to grow, not as children, but as Christian men and women, just that that aren't there just to be babysat. They're there to grow and be recognized as men and women in the church. I'm so grateful for that. In every way that Paul says that young men are called to be an example, Gabriel has excelled. His speech is wise and encouraging. His conduct is without reproach. His love has been demonstrated practically practically to so many of you in our congregation. His faith has been a blazing fire of good testimony, of endurance and genuineness. And his purity is seen in his love for his family and his love for his church. The apostle goes on in verse 13, "...until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture." to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Anyone who spent time with Gabriel knows that he's committed to the principle, the Reformation principle of sola scriptura. And that, that, what that simply means, it's Latin for scripture alone, and it means that the Bible alone defines what is true. All right, cold people, I'm going to say that one more time. Somebody turn up the heater in this place. The Bible alone defines what is true. And when you say that, when you, when you adhere to Sola Scriptura, you eliminate the voice of culture. You eliminate the voice of race. You eliminate the voice of politics. You eliminate the voice of denomination, etc., etc., of Scripture. We operate on the authority of Scripture, and not just Scripture, but Scripture alone. It's a part of every conversation with Gabriel. He is devoted to the authority of Scripture to an ever-increasing degree. And this has led to growing skill in both providing biblical counsel here in the church and preaching from this pulpit. He exhorts and teaches those here with all excellence. His gifts, uh, he has gifts rather, which he has not neglected. Instead, Gabriel follows Paul's example when he was speaking to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. Paul says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was possible and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Gabriel's life and ministry is clearly both anchored in and centered on nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He, he embraces the gospel more than success or material gain, more than worldly reputation or status. And it's for this reason, more than any other, that we can have confidence in his ministry calling. Paul wraps up, beginning in verse 15, Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Gabriel has demonstrated over and over again that he not only preaches, but he practices what he says. Pastor David and I have watched him as he's persisted. We've had honest conversations with him over and over again about his areas for improvement and his weaknesses, and he has never once balked at those conversations. He's immersed himself, as I said earlier, in rigorous theology, and he's not been afraid to ask hard questions and come to better conclusions than what he started with. He's conformed his private life, his role as a husband and a father, his position in this church and as a business owner to an unwavering biblical standard. He hasn't budged when it cost him accolades, when it cost him comfort. And David and I, along with you, have seen and confirmed his progress in the gospel. And his faithfulness benefits both himself, obviously, as well as every member of this congregation. So as we confirm Gabe's calling to eldership today, We need to talk about one more thing. What is your responsibility to him? What is my responsibility towards him? Hebrews 3.17 says it clearly. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because he's better looking or more talented than all of us? Well, that's clearly not the case. But just kidding. So why, why do we submit and obey For they are keeping watch over your souls. They are the ones, elders are the ones who, when you're veering into danger, they sound the alarm. And they say, come back from the edge. Let us help you. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. What Gabriel needs to understand this day is there's a day coming when he and I and Pastor David, Brother Beaver, Manny will stand before God... And all of your faces will flash before us. And we will give an account for each and every soul that we were responsible for. And that is a heavy weight for any man to bear. And so Paul says this, knowing the heavy weight of that, he says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to him. Nope, that's not what it says. It says it would be of no advantage to you. Notice that the emphasis of this verse is mutual advantage. By biblical obedience and submission to Gabriel's leadership, he will have joy, and your experience as a member of Northridge Life Church will flourish with advantages. Things like harmony, unity, peace, and genuine spiritual growth will result. First Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The expectation of God's holy word is that Gabriel, while serving faithfully in the ministry to which God's called and appointed him, will be honored by all of us. And this means that all of us should pray for him. That's what I'm asking you to commit to today. 
Pray for him. Pray for Natalie. Pray for the kids. Pray that they would be blessed. Pray that they would be granted supernatural wisdom. Pray that he would participate in the reaping of a great harvest for the glory of God. Pray that he would be effective in helping us to grow spiritually. This obviously implies some things. We should not be caught gossiping about him or gossiping about his family. We shouldn't be grumbling and complaining about his leadership. We shouldn't resist and rebel against him as he serves us as God's representative. One of the beautiful things about the office of an elder is our confidence from passages like this that it is God's design. God places elders over us so that we, as the body of Christ, can have accountability and that we can have oversight for our protection. God and the other elders that he's called here watch over this ministry, the ministry of an elder. If someone proves themselves, and sadly it happens sometimes, to be disqualified or unworthy, rest assured that God will expose it. And he will bring justice for the church that he loves so much. The church that he died to save. The church that he calls his bride. Do you think that God would not vindicate his very own bride from a terrible elder? You have no fear, no reason to fear that. Elders aren't perfect. But guess what? God is. What I just said, if you didn't hear me, was that elders are not perfect. But God is perfect. And he's watching over his church. He's building his church. And this means that he will purify his church by giving her godly elders and purging those elders who refuse holiness and truth. And may we all see that elders are given for the church's flourishing, but also for the flourishing of individual believers that make up the church. May God grant such peace and unity to Northridge Life Church so that she may flourish. I'm going to ask Pastor David and and, uh, Gabriel to come and join me up on the platform. Natalie, I'd like you to come too if you're baby free. That looks like, thank God for Grandma here. Good to go. I'm going to read some things that we've done over the last several times we've ordained elders here. And um, and then I'm going to ask you guys to participate in this as well. So I'm going to start with 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And Gabriel, this is to you. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So Gabriel, I ask you, do you solemnly accept the responsibility for governing the church of Jesus Christ defined by his, as defined by his apostles through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Yes. On the basis of your embrace of your calling... We bless you with this reminder from 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of unfading glory. 
And to the people of God here at Northridge Life Church, I ask, do you solemnly pledge to doubly honor Gabriel, to submit to his eldership according to the commands of Scripture, praying for him and Natalie as he seeks to faithfully serve in the office to which God has called him, according to the words of Peter when he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you are pledging that this morning, just respond by saying amen. Amen. Gabriel, having been examined by this church and its elders, having met the qualifications of eldership laid out in the Holy Scriptures in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and having, together with this body, since your own calling, and to lead our church as the Holy Spirit empowers and guides, coupled with your own desire to do so, we solemnly place our hands on you, setting you apart for the ministry of an elder for Northridge Life Church, and charge you with the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and dead, and by the appearing and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And now, Pastor David and I are going to pray for you. Father, what a joyful day this is. Um, Lord, I am so thankful to be here this morning, up here with Gabriel and Natalie, Lord, I'm I'm so thankful um, that you, in your wisdom and providence, have called them to be a part of this church. Lord, I thank you for Gabriel. And I I affirm everything that Pastor Mark has said this morning, that this this is a man of God. This is a man um, with wisdom and maturity and integrity beyond his years. And this is a man who is whole heart, with all of his heart, committed to loving and serving your church, your body. And Lord, what a blessing to see that. Um, what a blessing to see Gabriel week in and week out um, serve this church, um, lay his life down for this church, for these people, um, serve faithfully. And Lord, I've also been able to see him um, going through difficult times, going through struggles, but remaining always faithful to you, always faithful to this body, always faithful to his wife and his family. Um, Lord, he has proven himself again and again um, to be a man after your own heart. And I thank you for him. I thank you for his commitment. I thank you for the gifts that you have that you have given him, placed in him. Lord, I thank you for his um, his desire um, and his zeal to know the scriptures, to know you, and, and to teach others the incredible truths of the gospel. And so, Lord, I, I commend Gabriel to you, um, Lord, and we ask that you would um, protect him. We ask that you would 
Bless him with your favor, everything that he puts his hands to. Father, I pray that um, you would bless him as he leads his wife and his children. I pray that you would bless him as he is a leader um, with our youth. You would bless him, Lord, as he leads the church and pastors your sheep. Uh, Father, I pray that you would give him um, wisdom uh, to shepherd well. I pray that you would give him strength and courage. I pray that you would fortify him, um, Lord, to to withstand um, the schemes of the en- of the enemy um, that that the devil would bring against him as he seeks to serve and honor you with a faithful heart. Lord, we ask for your protection on him, on his family. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are with him, that you will always be with him, and that as he uh, takes on this mantle, um, he, he doesn't do it in his own strength, but he does it full of your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that you are with him, you will help him, you will enable him, you will empower him um, to serve this church faithfully. Father, I pray uh, for Natalie that she would be um, a great support to him in this ministry. Um, I I pray that she um, would come alongside him um, and be a joy to him and a comfort to him, an encouragement to him, a help to him. And that they would undertake this um, completely unified, uh, Lord. This is this is not this is not an easy calling. Um, there are significant difficulties that that come along um, with pastoring your church, um, and so, Lord, I, I pray that you would um, help and sustain them um, to weather any difficulty, any storm. And Lord, I know that they will with your help. Father, we thank you again just for the blessing they are, the blessing from day one that they have been to this body, to this church, um, for their hearts of service, for their humility. Lord, we bless them, we commit them to you, and we thank you that you are with them. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for, God, your great mercy to Northridge Life Church in providing uh, a man of integrity to stand in the gap for her, Lord, to to uh, be an intercessor for her, to be an instructor for her, to be a, a, a leader and a shepherd for her, Lord, I thank you for that. God, I pray that you would, over many years of service, faithful service, that you would bless Gabriel and Natalie and Beniah and Gideon and Esther more than they could have ever imagined, that their hearts would be full God, even though we know that there will be hard times, there'll be challenges, there'll be assaults from the enemy, Lord, I pray that they would never um, shake them from their steady course in pursuing you and, and the day when they will see you face to face and give a good report of this ministry that they are beginning. Lord, I pray that you would just equip them with all the wisdom that they need, as Pastor David said, that they would have all the endurance, all the integrity that they need, Lord, to to successfully run their race and complete their course. Lord, I pray 
pray that as a church that we would embrace their leadership, that we would encourage their leadership, that we would pray for them, that we would that we would honor them, that we would obey them and submit to them. Lord, we pray that you would just help us, Lord, to to um, see your hand um, increasingly upon him, Lord. That, that as Paul said to Timothy, that all can see your progress. Lord, we pray that from this day forward we would see nothing but progress in in Gabriel and and in Natalie, Lord. And we just thank you for all this blessing, Lord, that you have given us. And we we recognize it as such. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ginger, would you hand me that? We got you a little certificate to uh, just commemorate this day. And um, and we want to ask Pastor Gabriel, do you have anything to say to us? Yeah. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll try to keep this brief. Would you hold this for me? For just... Thank you. Why? You're a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like to start off easy, you know. No, um, yeah, first I, I, I want to say uh, thank you to the elders, to Mark, Pastor Mark and Pastor David. Uh, these men have invested so much time and effort into me and to my family. Um, you know, Mark talked about our Thursday night gatherings. I mean, when we started, I kid you not, we, we would often have to leave because we were running on six to eight hours of just diving into the Word, finding truth, knowing what God's Word says. And, and that's a lot of time for, for a pastor to invest in somebody. And I'm realizing that now. And, uh, I'm sure the Lord will give me that same opportunity sometime in the future. Um, but I just want to, want to thank them for their leadership, for their guidance, for their love, for their prayers, um, and all that they have in, invested into us and our family, um, to help build us up in godliness and, and prepare, prepare me for this, for this role. Um, also want to say thank you to the church for your gracious love and kindness. Um, I'm just, I'm thankful for many of you all the time. I pray for many of you and, and the great people that God has brought here to Northridge that I have the privilege and opportunity to be able to labor, uh, with you in Christ as we seek to glorify God with everything that we do. And as I, I think about, um, what this means, uh, Pastor Mark quoted First Timothy, and when I was looking at these letters and, and studying them, reading them, obviously it'd be important for me to know what's uh, in the Bible, especially concerning eldership, as this came up. In First Timothy alone, there's over 49 directives given from Paul to Timothy, it's where he says, I instruct you here, I command you to do this, I urge you to do this, you must do this, do this. That's a lot to think about. That's a lot to carry, but in Second Timothy, these were the, the two things that I think I've been meditating on and praying on the most concerning this role as I move forward. And it's Second Timothy 2.15 is the first one. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God. Amen. My first responsibility to this church is to God, is to labor to work to know God to live a life that is not first pleasing to everybody around me but first pleasing to him and then the second is second Timothy chapter 4 Paul gives the instruction to Timothy he says preach the word be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching and this I hope to do well I was thinking in um, 
when I was, I, I first came to know the Lord when I was 13. For those of you who don't know me, uh, know a lot about my background. I came to know the Lord when I was 13. I was graciously raised in, in the church by my parents and my grandparents, and I'm thankful for that. But like everyone, um, the call is not, uh, uh, to know Christ is not a is not a group thing first. It's an individual heart change, and just like everyone else, I was sitting one day and confused at what I thought about the world and and uh, God in in my room, completely alone, just worked in my heart and and urged me to read His Word to know Him, and I began to dive into that Word. And over the course of the next few weeks, God completely changed my heart and mind and, and how I saw him. I just started in Matthew and just started working through the Gospels. And and as that began to happen, the Lord put a passion upon my heart to know him and know his word. And I continued to study and continued to study. And and then when I was about 15, and when I had finished the New Testament, and yes, it took me about two years to get through the New Testament, finally the first time I got through it, I remember hitting this point in my life where um, just as any young buck, you know, we struggle with sin and, and the things in our lives. And I remember thinking and contemplating the life of Christ and what he preached and what he says in his word and thinking about my own life. And I just begin to weep in prayer in my room. And I just remember being on my face praying, Lord, how could you forgive me? How could you forgive me? I've known the truth. I've grown up in the church. I know what to do. I know what I what I ought to be doing. I know what your word says. And yet, here is all this sin in my life. What am what? How how could you save me? And I remember praying and praying and praying. And I didn't learn this till way later. But I wish I would have read John Owen long before. As he says, "Never offer yourself grace, but go to prayer and persist in prayer, and Christ will send grace." And I remember praying, and the, the truth of what Christ accomplished on that cross, and the power of his blood to save any man, even a man like me, was so overwhelming to just know that God would humble himself and die, and his blood was perfectly effective to save me from all that sin. And I remember being so overwhelmed by His grace in that moment. I just thought, people have to know this. People need to know this. I just remember thinking, Christ, I just, I want people to know you like I have come to know you. That's all I wanted. And I remember praying. I'll say this, be careful what you pray for. But I remember praying. And I prayed, Lord, take all of my life. Take everything that I am. Use me to preach you, to make you known to others with all of my life, even if it means until death. And I prayed that. And even to this day, God is still answering that prayer. As as I learn and I know about who God is, my heart and my desire is merely that you too would know Christ as I know Him. That He would become your everything. He would be everything. Everything you do would be consumed with the joy and love for Christ and who he is and what he has done. So I give thanks to the pastors for cultivating uh, what God has put upon my life. And, um, and so, thank you.
Hey, we're going to, uh, I'm going to have you all stand. We're going to read the benediction, but um, I'm going to ask uh, Gabriel and Natalie when we're done here to just come right down here in the front so you guys can have the opportunity to come forward and just kind of congratulate them and, and um, uh, tell them how pleased you are that, that they're serving in this way. So if you would place your hands in a receiving position, I just want to read what I felt like was the most appropriate benediction for this day, the words of Jesus himself. On this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen. You are dismissed.